Merchant Brain. So here we are, season one, episode one of Kitchen Brain Podcast. Uh, today for our very first episode, I have a very special guest, somebody who's very special to me, uh, Chef Antoine Brinson. Antoine is a really good friend of mine. We were both at the Greenbrier Apprenticeship Program back in the early 2000s. Since the Greenbrier, Antoine has worked in professional kitchens around the world in places like the U.S. Virgin Islands, Hawaii, San Francisco. He is here in my hometown now, Charlottesville, Virginia. He was the executive chef uh, in, at a local spot in Charlottesville for a little while. And then he decided to follow his heart, follow his vision. He's now the president of Culinary Concepts AB. I'll let him speak a little bit more about that later on, but he's doing some pretty incredible things. Um, you know, the reason why Antoine is my first guest here on Kitchen Brain is he gave me a little bit of, of, of a push recently, and I'm a working executive chef here in Charlottesville, and I've had all sorts of ideas about things that I can do kind of on the side and maybe start my own thing. And, uh, you know, Antoine just took that, that leap of faith in himself, and, and, you know, it's one that I, I don't have the courage maybe to, to do and to just walk away from my, my livelihood and start something on my own, but he had that faith in himself and it's working out really well for him. But he, he took a look at some video of, of a talk that I did at a conference back in February. And he looked at me and he was like, dude, he's like, you just, you need to just do this. He said, you know, you don't have to quit your job. Just, just get it started and, and do it and, and see where it goes. And he gave me that push and that was really awesome. And I'll, I'll always remember that and always appreciate it. Um, you know, I'll certainly blame him if this fails, but if it works out, then, you know, uh, then, then, then it's all good. But he, he's the guy that, that pushed me to do this. So you could blame him in the future for, for anything that I say uh, on this podcast. But uh, what's up, Antoine? How's it going, Chef? Hey, man. Good. Great. Good, man. Great. great. I'm good. glad I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to see you here, man. This is such a milestone, man. I know, I know. This is this is what we did. This is what we're building. You know, um, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, if nothing else, it's been a lot of fun, and I and I do truly appreciate, uh, you know, your your kind of little push there. Um, and congratulations because you and your wife just had a new baby, right? Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yes. pretty yeah. pretty big news. Just just bought a new house new baby, uh, you know, crazy, crazy business going in all sorts of new and innovative directions. So a lot of, a lot of cool things happening, uh, in the Brinson world. Uh, so that's pretty cool, man. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, so I, I guess a, a good way to, to start off here is, is to kind of bring up a little bit of an issue in, in our industry. And cause I think it ties into, uh, some of the reasons why you started culinary concepts and, and what you do. Um, but, you know, you hear, you, you hear chefs all the time talk about the new generation of cooks that are coming into the industry, and, and it's not the same, and, and, and these, these new cooks, there's just, this new generation just isn't the same as it was, uh, and I, I always uh, thought that that was a pretty ridiculous statement, because you're saying that it's new, and then you're saying that it's different, and, and that in itself is always true. Um, 
But, you know, I, I feel like that we need to embrace uh, what we call this new generation and know that it's here, whether we like it or not. And, and we need to nurture it and figure out how to make it work for us and how to adjust our model uh, and, and help them out, help this new generation out. And that's what I feel like you've done. But overall, I think that it's not that, you know, these, these young kids didn't just get born with, with their character and their beliefs and their ethics. It was the society around them that shaped them. It was their home life that shaped them. It was all these different things. And um, you kind of have, a, I, I think, a unique upbringing and a unique uh, home life and childhood situation. Uh, and I think that's a great way to start because obviously you are a, uh, a, a really determined and, motivative and, and motivated and successful entrepreneur now uh, who was in, uh, you know, in professional kitchens. And I think it would be great for you to just kind of tell us how did you become shaped into that person that uh, everybody wishes we could find now? You know, where did you start out? Um, well, first, thanks for having me, dude. This is uh, yeah, man. dope. It's really, really, really cool to see. Um, I love to see uh, seeds grow, plant seeds and, and watch them grow. And to, to kind of see um, your seed reach this first level of growth, this is, this is, this is awesome. So congrats. Um, but to answer your question, um, I grew up in, um, you know, a household. My mom uh, was a foster parent, um, and she was extremely passionate about what she did. Um, you know, I, I always like to refer back to, like, growing up, you know, I didn't grow up in a household where my mom was like, I love you, you know, you're the best kid. My mom was rough. <laughs> like, my, my mom was... Uh, she didn't really say I loved you much, you know. She would tell you it was wrong and tell you to fix it. Um, but she, uh, she didn't have to say much because she showed me every single day. And I think that I, as, a, as a kid growing up, I didn't appreciate it. Um, you know, um, I got to see not a person live what they, um, what they want to do, but like live what they're truly meant to do. Um, sure. And she did it every single day. And, um, so, you know, you grow up and, you know, when you, you get, go on your journey and you start to find your way, uh, you start to look back and reflect in your life for, you know, uh, markers that kind of help you along the way. And for me, for a long time, my mom was, she, to this day, she still is like that marker for me because she did so many amazing things in such a short period of time um, that, you know, when I look back for heroes in my life and, and for, for moments or it, people that inspire me, she's probably the biggest inspiration for me. Nice. So how, I mean, how many, how many people did she foster? <laughs> uh, so the record, well, let her tell it, you know, it's, it, she's, <laughs> she's definitely had over 250 kids. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. You broke, you, 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 I think you broke up there. It sounded like you said 250. That, that's exactly what I said. She, Get out of here. Had, uh, she raised over 250. Did you not, man? That was, wow. she loved what she did, man. Uh, that's phenomenal. Absolutely. I have kids that I grew up with that I consider brothers and sisters um, just because we grew up together. You know, some kids were there for eight years. <laughs> wow. um, so I have like this uh, extended family, um, you know, that, you know, my mom embraced and, and brought these kids in and we grew up, she didn't treat anybody different. We all were treated the same, you know? Right. Um, and uh, we just all looked at this mindset, you know, that she, she instilled it in all of us that you could really be and do whatever you want to do. You just got to work hard at it. Right. Yeah. I think that's important. You know, I, I think when, when we talk about, 
you know, the, the societal effect on people and how it shapes them. And then we talk about the people who are coming into our kitchens today. Um, you know, I think, I think part of the problem is that we're looking at everybody the same as, as it always was. We're, we're not changing our mind to say, this is a different generation that, that has uh, a different world around them. You know, it really is a different environment. And, and what, we, what we went through when we were apprentices, you know, that's by today's standards, that's not necessarily acceptable. And, and that's just the way society is. And, and we might not agree with it. And we might hope that, you know, everybody who comes through our door is just like we were, but that's just not how it goes. Um, and, you know, like I, my, my, my dad was, was very similar. I mean, my parents, they, they worked their asses off to make sure that, that, that we had what we needed. And, and, you know, they, they gave us whatever we needed to be comfortable, but they also, you know, they wanted us to succeed. You know, they wanted us, whatever that meant for us, you know, just yeah. find something that you love to do and figure out a way to make a decent, honest living doing it. And, uh, and that was kind of the message that we got. So, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a really important thing. Um, you know, my, my sister-in-law was, was visiting us recently and she, I got into a big conversation with her because we hadn't spoken for a while. And, and she asked me about kitchen brain and asked me about be better culinary perspectives and kind of was kind of looking to see what that was all about. And, uh, we started getting into this new generation of people and she made a very interesting point. And she, she said the words that she used were uh, the environment, uh, or I'm sorry, the people hasn't, haven't changed. The parents have changed. And I didn't take that literally. And she didn't mean that literally. But for me, the parents in that statement is the environment. It is society, which always changes. A new generation is always going to bring a new mindset in the people that come in to interview for jobs. So, you know, we need to stop complaining about it, I think, and, and try to learn about this new generation and, and what we need to do to make our world appealing to them. So, I don't know, that's kind of... Yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that to kind of to piggyback off of that, it, you know, I would say you know, I, I go back to my hero, right? My mom, right? Like she lived in this state of agility, right? And what I mean by that is that, you know, she would get some kids sometimes that, you know, the doctors would say, you know what, Mary, this is an emergency placement. This kid might have, you know, might not make it through the night. They have a breathing problem. And right. my mom would like just pour into these kids, right? Like pour into them. And every kid was different. And she didn't treat every kid the same. Some kids required more attention than others. And she was able to recognize that. But she was in, constantly in this state of flex, you know, right. when she was going through that. Let's, 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 let's change it over to the culinary world. As chefs, like, we live in this state of agility. Like, we are agile creatures because of our industry. You know, you get a tin top at 9 o'clock, you're going to make it happen, right? Sure. You know, yeah. the banquet goes up and down, you're going to flex, right? Like, we yeah. live in this state of agility. But for some reason, that mindset has only been focused on the technical side of things and not the soft skill side, developing right. people. And I think that we came up in a, in, in a generation where, you know, that was kind of just like an unspoken thing where, you know, our chefs invested in us, but the new generation of chefs that are out there now, you know, they're so focused on technique, you know, and, and that's partly driven by technology. That's they're driven by, t uh, um, you know, TV, you know, that's dri driven by their influencers, right? There's so many things that contribute to this new mindset 
but we need to get back to investing in people because that is what's going to essentially allow the kitchens to flourish. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely for sure. Um, so you, you, you went, we were both at the Greenbrier. Uh, I don't know if you were one class behind me or two classes behind me, but we were, we were in the building at the same time. You stayed there a little longer. You were a, a sous chef in, in, uh, was it Fusions? Infusions? What was Infusions, it? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and, and then you went to Hawaii. You disappeared uh, and went to Hawaii for a while. And what was, what was going on in Hawaii? What, what, what was that like? You know, I, I, uh, before I came to the Greenbrier, I was, um, I was in Hawaii. Um, I mean, I was in the Caribbean for almost four years. And uh, okay. I traveled. I lived in eight different, eight different islands, um, countries. And, um, you know, I wanted to get back to island life. I love the culture. I love exploring. And I love traveling. Um, so um, I moved out there. I took a job at the uh, St. Regis out there. And, um, you know, took over this, this amazing um, restaurant. And, uh, you know, the, the, the story, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but like, I remember uh, my first time, like, you know, I came in from this strict brigade system with Chef Peter Timmons and Rosendale, where it was just like a certain way. Yes, chef, you know, you get it done. Yeah. And, um, you know, I go out there with this single minded mentality. And um, anybody that's ever been to Hawaii, you know, one thing, it's all about Ohana. It's all about family. And, um, you know, I kind of went out there with this, um, this single-minded mentality. It's like, I'm a chef, I'm here to do a job, and we're going to get it done, period. And I didn't really have, you know, the family-first mentality. I really wasn't there. I wasn't thinking about embracing my team. And uh, when I first got there, I remember I tried to rally my team, and um, I failed. I absolutely failed. You know, I lost my team. And it took me about six months to, to really get them back and to, to, to repair that relationship because I didn't invest in people first. Sure. Right? Yeah. I went out there with this mindset that I'm going to drive talent. I'm going to drive technical skill. I'm going to drive menus and we're going to be the best, but I forgot about the people. And I would say for me uh, in my career, that was probably the biggest learning curve uh, for me as a, as a chef, you know, where it was an eye opener. It was like, damn, dude, you really got to invest in your guys and you got to grow your guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think we all went through that uh, coming from the Greenbrier. And the Greenbrier is not the only place that was like that. And I, I recognize that. There, there are a lot of places that, that follow that same level of standards and, and had that same kind of uh, training program. Um, but I think we all needed to be like reprogrammed to, to a yeah. degree. And, and it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, when I hire sous chefs now, when they come from a place like the Greenbrier or the Broadmoor or wherever they're coming from that, that has that kind of a, a mindset, that's one of the first things that I, I talk to them about, you know, when they get the job is like, okay, really happy you're here. I know you're going to do great things, but just so you know, we do things a little bit differently than you might be used to. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get in your head a little bit and, and just tweak things a little and, and reprogram what, what's been programmed. Not that it's wrong, uh, but it's just different. That, that, that was great for your education and it worked for you. And, and that's awesome. I'm, I'm not saying that it's bad, but now I'm going to teach you how to deal with people and communicate with people and be 
you know, somebody that everybody wants to follow, you know, and uh, there, there is a little bit, because I remember when I got out, man, and I went to, uh, when I got out, it sounds like we got out of uh, lockup, um, but, <laughs> but, you know, when, when I got out, uh, I went up to, to Westchester, and I was at a private club, and that was my first sous chef position, you know, like my first real sous chef position, you know, and, and I think about that, and I know if, if, people from back then who were in the kitchen then saw me now they would be like what happened like you used to be such a badass like you used to be scary in the kitchen you know like we were afraid to 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 do anything that wasn't you know what what you expected and uh you know we kind of you kind of learn to manage by fear and then after a while you kind of learn that that's not you know that's not going to cut it otherwise you're going to be all by yourself one day but uh but yeah, it's funny you say that because I think we, we all went through that uh, rehabilitation period uh, as far as, you know, our mental makeup and, and how, we, how we talk to each other. So, you know, you know my, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, uh, in karma and I'm going to share a really quick story with you. So when yeah. I was in um, high school, I took a uh, vocational, vocational um, program for culinary arts. And, um, you know, my first year in the program, I literally spent like every day in, in school suspension. Um, I had an old school Hungarian chef that was, you know, he came from the world of you will respect me. And, right. you know, I'm a kid from the hood that came from the world of respect is earned. You, you don't just get respect. Like right. you got to You got to You got to You got to You know, it's something that you earn over a period of time. Um, so me and this guy, we didn't see eye to eye, you know. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I went on this journey through, through my career and uh, I find myself in Hawaii and um I went in with that same mentality, that, that Hungarian chef's mentality, you know, where it's just like, you know, I got my stripes, I've done all these things, you know, I just opened a restaurant, you know, at one of the top places in the, in the, in the culinary world. And, um, you know, I go in thinking that you're going to respect me and I fell on my face. Right. So it was, it, it was, it was a very humbling experience, but a very necessary experience that I feel like um, when you're in a smaller restaurant, you don't feel the impact of it as much as you do in a larger setting. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, so you, you, you spent some time in, uh, in the, the world of palm trees and decided time to come back to, I guess, still some more palm trees, but San Francisco spent a little, how long, how long were you in San Francisco? What do you, Oh man, what a year and a half. Year and a half. Dude, I wanted to get the hell out of there, man. I love <laughs> SF for the food. The food was awesome. My job, my job, by the way, was really awesome. You know, I went from chef to running the entire food and beverage department. And uh, I, I had an awesome job. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at your three-year and your five-year trajectory in yeah. San Francisco, it crushes all of your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, because <laughs> you're never going to be able to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, you're never yeah. going to be able to put your kids through college. Right. Like you're never going to be able to take a real vacation. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're never going to save anything. And I was just like, yo, babe, we got to get the hell out of here. Like San Francisco's cool. I got a lot of opportunity here, but you know, we can do better somewhere else. We were making the most money that we ever made in any property. And sure. we were taking home the least amount, you know, the bottom yeah. line wasn't there. And I was like, we got it. We got it. We got to bounce. <laughs> Which is pretty scary when you've lived in Hawaii because, I mean, the cost of living in Hawaii is astronomical. Right. Yes. So that, that says right. a lot of volumes when you say that it was tough to make ends meet with that kind of salary in San Francisco 
when you just came from from Hawaii, that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, and I thought the same thing. You know, I was like, oh man, nothing's gonna be worse than Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii going from the going from West Virginia to Hawaii. I mean, just from an economical standpoint, it's they're upside not, they're down, not right? Similar. Like, they're not, not similar. I, I thought they were pretty no, close. No shape, fashion, or form was I mentally prepared for that journey financially, right? I mean, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to be making great money out here. I'm good. Don't, I don't got to worry about anything. And, uh, you know, reality hit, you know, it's like, oh, I got to really adjust my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty wild, man. I, I remember because Drew Garms and I lived in a house. We had... <laughs> We had a two-bedroom house, house with a big backyard and a, and a front and back porch and a little, it wasn't a garage, but it was like a shed. We had a two-car driveway. Uh, you know, it wasn't the most beautiful house around. We rented that house for $350 a month, including, <laughs> including utilities, including utilities. That was total. That wasn't each. That was not each, my friend. That was total <laughs> $350 a month. And, and, and for yeah. everybody listening who, who thinks that we're, we're old fucks, it's not because it was such a long time ago, <laughs> all right? It's because in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, that's what real estate goes for. We probably could have bought the house for 50 grand if we wanted to. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a different, yeah, it's so a different time. There, yeah. oof, moving from there to, to, to the islands, uh, I could imagine that was a shock. Yeah, we had a we had a beautiful condo out there, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, yeah. But it was a it was a, a wake up call, you know. And I I would say, you know, and I I've all, I'm a budget guy, so like, you know, I've always, you know, I've, I have budgets. I live my life on a budget, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I have a spreadsheet at the beginning of the year. I forecast what I'm going to do in my personal life. You know, it's just the same way I am as a professional chef is the same way that I run my personal life. I'm like, I am not going to make a restaurant a shit ton of money and not make myself some money too. Right. So I, I, I put the same front principles across the board. And, um, but you know, Hawaii, I was, I just, I wasn't ready for it, man. Yeah. Carton of milk, $8, man. <laughs> it's a, well, the milk is an import, isn't it? <laughs> it I, I'm is. pretty sure milk is Dude. imported. It, I mean, you can get a local, but that's even more expensive. So, <laughs> man, that's crazy. Oh yeah, man, so, <laughs> so you you leave San Francisco uh, and you came to Charlottesville, which I was really excited about. I was already here, uh, and then you know I heard that you were coming uh, to be an executive chef at a local spot here, and uh, you you did that for a little bit. But now now here is where I think the story gets a little bit interesting. Um, you know, you, you settled into Charlottesville and, and you ran this kitchen, which is a beautiful place. Um, but some things, you know, you saw some things, I think, and I'm not going to put thoughts in your head. You're going to tell us. But uh, there, there were some things going on in your head and some observations that uh, created some opportunity in your mind. And you took that. So, so tell me, tell me what happened there. I think that before you get there, you got to actually take a couple of steps back. Sure. You know, this, this issue that we, we face in the industry, it didn't start four years ago. You know, this is something that we've been experiencing since, you know, 2007, 2008, you know, that it was just, it was just starting to simmer back then. Right now it's, 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 it's boiling. Right. Um, but this is something that started a while ago. So, so on my journey of traveling and working different places, there's always been a staffing issue. I think every chef can attest to that. You know, there's always been a staffing issue, um, but we may do. Um, and what made Charlottesville so unique for me 
is that, you know, um, a couple things. One, I came in with this extremely naive mindset that, oh, I'm coming from, you know, San Francisco, you know, I got staff out here and I'm going to the small town Charlottesville and I'm going to open up this fine dining restaurant. Everybody's going to want to work there. It's fine dining restaurant, small town. Yeah, this is going to be easy. So that was my mindset coming in. I mm. failed from the door. <laughs> just, <laughs> just from that thought right there alone, I failed right. straight up. Um, and then the, the second piece was, you know, that I didn't know until later until I launched my company. You know, Charlottesville, uh, when you look at restaurants per capita, is number three in our nation. And what that means is Charlottesville has over 500 restaurants in a 10-mile radius. And I want you guys to really take a second to kind of wrap your brain around that. Yeah, that's that. it's crazy. Over 500 restaurants in a 10-mile radius, right? That is ridiculous, That right? is ridiculous. So, I mean, coming into it, already people were robbing Peter to pay Paul just to get staff, right? Um, and it's this culture here where it's just like, you know, they poach, you know, and you see it in cities, you see it everywhere, people poach. But in Charlottesville, because it's such a, like sardines in a can here with the restaurants, yeah. everybody knows everybody. And now that you stole my guy, I'm not talking to you anymore. So now we, we, we're already in an industry where we work in silos. I mean, that just put up a couple concrete walls. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not talking to you ever, right? Um, so I, I walked into this, 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 this crazy environment and, um, you know, I had less than a month where I had to hire my sous chefs, my line cooks, my dishwashers, and I had zero applications, zero. Um, so I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, man, it was a humbling experience. You know, I really backed away from my ego quick and I was like, yeah. all right, how can I get people in, in, in here? So I literally, I went to the drawing board, I posted an ad and it said, are you passionate about cooking? Have you ever worked in a professional kitchen? Send me your resume. And uh, it was literally like somebody turned on the faucet, you know, resume started to flow in. And, um, you know, I, I went into this, 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 uh, this opportunity with probably the greenest culinary team that anybody has ever seen. <laughs> um, like there, there was, there's a, the, the, one of the owners of the club, a guy named Ben. I never forget this. Ben came up to me. This was like a, a week before opening and my guys are in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, literally, this is how you hold a knife. This is how you set a cutting board, right? And uh, I'm teaching them how to, how to navigate the kitchen. And Ben comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, Antoine, um, are your guys going to be okay for the opening? I'm like, they'll be ready. And he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, we'll be ready. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we went into it, we launched it, we were good, you know. But what, what that experience taught me was there were a plethora of individuals out there that were extremely passionate about cooking, but the ads that we were posting didn't speak to them. This spoke to them. This spoke to the, the opportunity of growth, right? Um, so I continued to post this ad for, you know, about six months. After any interviewing so many people, I started to see a trend. And what that trend was, was a lot of the folks that were applying had industry experience. Some people five years, some people 10 years. But the, the commonality for them was that you might have five years working pantry station. You might have 10 years and you've worked pantry and saute and that's it. And you're coming to me saying, hey, I want to be your sous chef because I've been in the game for five years. I want to, I'm qualified to be your executive sous because yeah. I've been in the game for 10 years. Yeah, I got it. And there, and there was this, this disconnect, right? This disconnect between station specific experience and overall kitchen experience. 
And, and so, you know, my, my first thought process with that was, hey, are, are there any organizations out there designed to help these or individuals get the skill set they need to navigate the kitchen? Because this isn't necessarily an individual that wants to go to culinary school. They just want some training to get the foundational skills so they can keep moving up. Sure. Um, and, and what I found, which was kind of sad, was, you know, at the time, it was only three organizations nationally that came close to, to what I, my, my vision was. You know, and the rest is history. And from there, I, you know, they well, what if, what if I created a program? You know, what if I created a program that focused on the skills that we need in the kitchen? I don't want to be a culinary school. Like, what if I gave them station-specific experience? What if I prepared, prepared them with the navigational skills that they need to operate in the industry, right? Like, what, what would happen? Um, so, you know, as they say, when you, be, when you get that entrepreneur bug, you kind of just, like, jump off a cliff, right? <laughs> um, so that's exactly what I did. Yeah, you did, man. You definitely uh, jumped off a cliff into 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 a really uh, a really cool thing, and I'm glad that it's it's working out. I'm not ready to jump off a cliff yet, as you know, uh, and that's that's why I am still gainfully employed as a full time executive chef, and that's fine. That's fine. I'll get there. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can we can get to a point where I feel good. Um, getting there you pushed me to the edge of the cliff uh and and we'll see yeah we'll see if i if i take the leap so, Don't worry, um, Jeff. I, so I, won't stop <laughs> I know you won't i know you won't that's why i got to be careful uh how often we get together um so <laughs> so listen so you 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 have this epiphany right and you realize that that you can do this um and then you just decide i'm gonna I'm going to walk away from everything that I'm familiar with. I'm going to walk away from what I'm, what I'm best at up until this point, which is running a professional kitchen. And I'm going to start a business, create uh, websites and virtual platforms and do all these things that, you know, you don't learn in culinary school and you didn't learn at the Greenbrier and you didn't learn in any of your experience uh, in the islands. Uh, you know, what makes you do that? What makes you say, yeah, fuck it. Let's, let's jump. You know, I, I'm a big believer, you know, and I know this is where me and you align in really embracing the journey. And I think that what happens a lot of the times is that people embrace the parts of the journey that they that relate to them the most right the cooking aspect of it right what people don't embrace is the part where you know for me i had the privilege of working with this guy who was my front of the house manager who just happened to be an excel spreadsheet whiz that taught me excel spreadsheets right and i got really good at spreadsheets because of this guy i had a privilege of working with another guy that loved camera and video that you know taught me a shit ton about video on my journey, right? I had the privilege of working with another guy that was super super passionate about starting businesses. He actually quit his job and launched a uh, another company when I was in Hawaii, and um, you know he to this day he's super successful, right? So I had the opportunity on my journey to meet individuals that were preparing me for my journey that I didn't even know at the time, right? This, this is kind of like my mom, right? Looking back in hindsight, like, oh, wow, like, I've seen this before. I know what this looks like. Right, right. And, you know, I would say from the time that I decided I want to get in cooking, 
I always wanted to teach. I always thought I was gonna go back to CIA, coming to America to, to be a teacher at some point because that, that's what most chefs do. They go back to culinary school and teach. Yeah. I never thought in a million years that I would open up my own cooking school. But it was those moments in my journey where I had those glimpse of possibility that I reflected on that prepared me to, to, to give me the confidence to say, you know, I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to do this. I've seen other people do this. Guys that thought that it wasn't possible and they did it and they're still doing it and they're doing well. I know I can do this. Hell, I've opened restaurants. I've done running kitchens. I've done some impossible shit. Like I could do this. And guess what? If I can't do it, if it doesn't work out, there are over 500 restaurants around me. I can get another guy, goddamn job. <laughs> so, yeah. like, so, <laughs> right? So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it wasn't a matter for me personally. Like it wasn't a matter if, uh, if you know, if it was possible. It was if I had the balls to do it. And, uh, you know, for me, that's why I say I jumped off a cliff because it was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I remember telling my wife, I, I told my wife, you know, in the beginning, I was like, baby, if I can't make money in six months, then I should not be an entrepreneur. And I did it in three, right? So I think it's just important to be able to find those moments in your life that prepared you for that, that moment, right? Or were you going to jump off, right? Me and you, right? We met how long ago at the Greenbrier? Long time. Man. And Long here we time. are, our paths cross here in Charlottesville. Yeah. Right? And my confidence has inspired you to do this amazing thing that the industry needs so much, right? So I think it's just important to be able to recognize those moments because once you recognize them and you really understand what it looks like, I'm, me personally, I'm a visual learner, right? So I need to see it. You can tell me all day. If I don't see it, I don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. You know, so I mean, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it, it is a leap of faith, but most importantly, you know, it's important for you to be able to find those moments because that's going to give you the, uh, the sustainability, you know, anybody can start something, but you really need to have traction at some point to be able to ma maintain that momentum. And I think a lot of times people start stuff and they don't really think it through. They don't really build their circle around them. You know, they don't really, they really don't have that backbone yet sure. and yeah. they do it and then they, they hit a brick wall or they hit, they hit a barrier and they stop. And I, you know, that, that's why I think it's, it's super important to be able to find these tools in the beginning. So when you start, you know, you can fix this car all the way through. Sure. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Good for you, man. I'm, I'm super proud of you. Uh, so, okay. So now I'm going to be, um, you know, kind of the devil's advocate here. Uh, you know, and I had a conversation recently and you're going to get excited when I tell you this. Uh, so I'll let you do your thing. But I had a conversation recently the other night with uh, a gentleman named Mark Noguchi. Um, oh, Mark, the and, naked chef. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> naked chef. Uh, so Mark Noguchi, for those of you who don't know, has just uh, become like an authority on uh, native Hawaiian cuisine. He's, he's, I mean, he's basically a celebrity in Hawaii. Incredible guy. He was also at the Greenbrier for a little while, but I, I spoke with him for a little bit and, and I, I, I do plan on having him on the show as well. But the reason I bring up the conversation is because, um, you know, he, he, we were both talking about that, how many different avenues there are for chefs to take in this industry. And, you know, it's not just, I, I need to be a James Beard nominated chef in a restaurant, or I need to be in, in a five star, five diamond resort or, or whatever it is. It's not just that, 
but the, the, you know, part of the problem is whenever any of us leave that setting, whenever, whenever we leave a professional kitchen and are no longer quote unquote in the trenches, uh, people talk shit, you know? So how, how does it make you feel with all the time and hard work that you put in and all the talent that you have and, and you know what you're capable of, right? Nobody needs to validate that, but all that stuff that you did, all the lessons that you learned and the, and the great chefs that you worked for and the teams that you've developed and built, well, now you, you stepped out and started your own thing, which is, is proven to be really successful. But what do you say to, to the, the people who have that ridiculous perception that we need to change in the industry? Like, oh, well, what does he know? You know, he's a sellout. He, he left the kitchen. He's not really a chef anymore. He's kind of just, you know, playing the part and he's a has-been. How do you respond? I love that. I love that. That's awesome. I mean, here's what I say to that. Being a chef is not a job title. You know, being a chef is a lifestyle, right? Like, it's a lifestyle. We don't sleep. You know, we work. We go hard at whatever we do. We spend short time with our families. We're introverts. Like, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's who you are, right? Like, you can never take that, that away, right? No matter what, what you do. For me personally, I got sick of hearing about the problems. I got sick of hearing every single chef that I know complain about not being able to find qualified individuals. And I made a choice. I said, I can either be a part of the problem or I can be a part of the solution. I can produce solutions or I can produce problems. And that's it, right? And, that, and that for me, it was that simple, one or two. And I was like, I'm going this way. You know what? I've, I'm, I'm, I've found so many solutions for other people in their businesses. Why not find solutions from people in my industry and create bridges and opportunities for people to be able to reach a level that I reach or surpass me by light years, you know, yeah. because by any means, you know, I've, you know, we both worked under some amazing chefs. I took it as far as I wanted to take it. I didn't want to be a certified master chef. I didn't want to go do, you know, the competitions. Like, you know, I remember you continued on that journey. Like I, I completely chose a different pathway, right? Sure. And that pathway, that pathway for me, it, it, it allowed me to be able to get the confidence and to be able to get the exposure that I needed to be prepare me for right now. And I think it's important for you to be able to recognize that if you stay in this single-minded mentality, and I think that that's what we were talking about a little earlier, right? Where, you know, we kind of focus like this, right? We got, I call them the horse blockers. You ever see a horse walking down the street? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You see yeah. the horse walking yeah. down the street, the yeah. horse blockers, right? Yeah. And, and all they can see is what's in front of them. Right. I feel like as chefs, we get tunnel vision. We get tunnel vision, man. Sure. You know, and we get this, you know, we, we, we used to call it back at the Greenbrier, we used to call it the good old boys club, right? Yeah. yeah. When you get to a certain level, you graduate yeah. the apprenticeship and you stuck around and you part of the good old boys club. Sure. You know, it was just like, you know, what, what does that really signify? You sure. Know, is that progressiveness or is that holding people back? Like, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, no, I hear you, man. Uh, and and just I I wanna I wanna go back and just repeat the first sentence of your response to that question. Being a chef is not a job title, uh, and and I think that that's something that people lose sight of, especially on this topic. Um, you know, there there's so much more uh, than just what you read about and what you see in the mainstream uh, news and social media about being a chef. Our basic our basic fundamental responsibility as chefs is to provide nourishment for people and to know how to do that and to develop other people to be able to do that effectively. 
Um, you know, that, that's like the very that, basic that thing. It, it, it's mental nourishment and, 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 yeah. and then the physical nourishment that we're sending out to the table, right? So, I mean, it's, it's nourishment on all levels. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're part of the hospitality industry, right? So, so we need to take care of the guest. We need to take care of each other. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole big picture. So, uh, yeah, I, I hear you, man, that that's great. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of you. So, you know, big, big question for, for me now is you, you've been in the trenches, um, you know, you, you made a decision and, and it was the right decision and, and you're doing really well with it. Now that you've, you've stepped a little bit out of the, the traditional stress of being a working executive chef and you're kind of seeing another side of it and you're kind of on the, the applicant side and the, the, the people who need guidance side, what is it that you need, you, you think needs to change societally, maybe within the industry? What do you think needs to change uh, about our culture that will make this a more appealing uh, and viable career path for people? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just answer that question with a short story. I, I, um, one of the classes that I had, you know, I had this, this individual that was, you know, came to me kind of broken. You know, she was told that, you know, because her English wasn't good, that she would never be able to, you know, get a real job or be a professional, mm. you know, that she would never be able to work in a professional kitchen. And um, I gave her an opportunity. She did the program, my training program. And uh, on that journey, I remember sitting down with her, um, halfway through. And, um, you know, I was like, Hey, you know what? Uh, how do you think you're doing? I do one-on-ones. Right. And, uh, you know, her response to me was, which was kind of blew, set me back a little bit. She was like, I'm sorry, chef, that I'm not doing that. Well, I have a learning disability. They told me when I was in school, because I didn't speak English well, that I had a learning disability. Hmm. And I kind of sat back for a minute and I was like, I hate to be the one to tell you to now mind you this girl I think she was like 32 33 uh, and I was like I hate to be the one to tell you this but um, you don't have a learning disability and you're the best student in the class hmm. you're excelling in every category my nice. only advice to you is slow down you're going you, you go too fast and you make mistakes that you shouldn't make right. if you just slow down a little bit you'll do great um, and she just starts crying right like she just starts crying and, and it was the first time in her life in her career that anybody had ever told her that she was more than what she was. No wow. one had ever told her that, right? So let's, let's translate that to the industry. As chefs, what do we glorify? What are we looking at? Are we telling guys when, when, when they work 70 hours in a week and we're like, you're doing great, man. Yeah, you crushed it, man. You worked 70 hours. But when that same individual takes two days off, are you telling them, great job. You spent time with your daughter. You spent time with your wife. Are we, celebrating individuals for the right things. And I think that, you know, just kind of just like her story, that's, that story is the story of us as chefs and what we pour into individuals, yeah. right? We pour the wrong things into people and then we get disappointed when they don't stick around. We get disappointed when they don't understand that, you know, this is just how it is. Well, why is it that this is how it is? Right, because you went through it, you have to put somebody else through it, right? So I think that th th to answer that question, to kind of sum it up, you know, I think that the biggest change that needs to happen is that chefs need to look in the mirror, you know, and this included myself, you know, I had I wouldn't be where I am right now 
as, as a teacher, as an educator, as a mentor, as a coach, if I didn't look in the mirror, anybody that's worked for me in the past, they'll tell you, man, like I didn't play. <laughs> Just like you yeah. said, when you went to, yeah. when you went to, uh, you know, uh, the country club, yeah. man, like we were brought up a certain way. Our mentors yeah. treated us a certain way. So yeah. we thought that it was okay to treat people a certain way. Well, guess what? Yeah. Just because somebody else does it doesn't mean that it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> just because yeah. we dealt with it doesn't mean that the rest of the world will, right? So that's it's just it. important to be able to recognize that. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. That's that's spot on. I I I you know, I I equate that to um you know, us being us being stuck in the past. It's funny because I did a recording earlier and I, I posted like a short blurb on Instagram that kind of touched on this, but um you know, when you think about it, you hear people talk and you hear people talk about when they were raised and how they were raised. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who have some, some serious hardships. Uh, you know, some people who they don't know the next time there's going to be food on the table. Uh, and, 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 you know, they're just working really hard to make sure there's something on the table for their family. But those same people, you know, you never see those same people grow up and, and look at their kids and say, we didn't eat on Tuesdays, so you're not going to eat on Tuesdays. You know, like that doesn't happen. Like th those people work really hard to make sure that their family can eat on Tuesdays, you know, but chefs, for some reason, you know, we, we, we had it a certain way in a different, in a different time. And we talk about it. And that's cool that we can share war stories and we can swap uh, some, some different talk about how it used to be when we're all together uh, and away from the new generation. But, you know, to, to say like, well, you know, we didn't get breaks, so you're not going to get breaks. Uh, I never got, when I, was, when I was a line cook, I never got a half hour break. You're not getting one. You know, that's the same thing as, as telling your kids, like, you're not eating on Tuesdays, you know? So we use this, yeah. this term, this phrase, family meal, right? Like we use it, but we only use it once a day, right? It's, it's for lunch uh, and, and maybe twice a day for two different shifts. But you get to experience the word family uh, once a day traditionally where we come from. But if we're going to use that word for a yeah. meal period, do we really mean it? You know, like, is that how you treat your actual family? And, and I don't think the answer is yes. So either we're a family or we're not. And, and, and like you were saying, there's just there's too much of, of being stuck in the past and, and your people do not give a shit what you went through in the past. You know, you got, you got a prep, you got a prep cook or a pantry cook. You got somebody who's a single mom trying to make ends meet and work hard for her kids and, and her family. Uh, you think she gives a shit what you went through when you were a cook? Not at all. Not one bit, not one bit. So it's like, you know, think about that, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the point that I try to get across. I'm glad you said that because that's, uh, that's huge, you know, so um, cool, man. So, so uh, real quick, let's, uh, let's talk about COVID-19. I don't want to talk about COVID-19. I don't want to talk about COVID-19. We clear on that. But what I do want to talk about is your model has changed a little bit uh, because of COVID-19, right? So, in-person classes is, is, you know, kind of had to take a pause for a little bit for you, but that didn't really stop you. Uh, you kind of, you know, built a new opportunity for yourself, and now you're doing this uh, virtual learning, uh, virtual cooking class thing. Tell us, tell us about that, because that's exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, so when I launched my company, um, and this is in my original business plan, which is kind of crazy, 
my my original business plan i spoke to doing the training programs online i wanted to do online training um because one it gives you an opportunity to reach more people and two it, it, most importantly for me it's all about impact how, do, how can i create a bigger impact in my industry um but the uh the live person-to-person classes really kind of took off like wildfire for me um and really kind of um, positioned my organization uh in a, in a place of um of uh it's kind of like the lighthouse for folks that are looking for for a pathway um but when COVID hit you know everything kind of stopped everything kind of came to a uh a pause and um I, i'm a big believer in you know you know, be careful what you ask for you know I'm, a, I'm the type of guy i'm always like oh god i wish i had more time be careful what you ask for well when COVID hit i got more time <laughs> i was like well i asked for it <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, you know, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to waste my time that I've been asking for for the longest? Or am I going to use my time? Um, so, you know, I kind of went back to my old business plan, blew off the dust. It was like, hey, man, let's let's revis- reimagine, you know, this online program uh, in today's time. And um, so, you know, I went back to the drawing board, came up with a plan. And, um, you know, I, I, I call my kitchen. It's my kitchen. I call it the lab. I literally locked myself in here for two months. quiet nobody heard from me nobody knew what was going on and um i built out an online system you know i have like four cameras you know three microphones you know uh have this online system that i I put together um consulted a ton of folks you know i had a lot of help along the way don't want to take credit for all myself i have a team that that helps me do stuff but um you know i really went back to the drawing board and said hey you know what i really want to do this online thing this is the time um so i designed it i launched it you know with any program, low-hanging fruit. It for me is I'm a chef by by you know by by uh, by personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start this with cooking classes. Right now, restaurants are back up and running yet. You know, I'm not gonna start training people and send them out there in the industry. They don't have jobs. Let's let's focus on getting this 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 online system to a point to where it's it, it, it's smooth. I worked out all the kinks, and let's do it with cooking classes. So. Whenever I design a program, I'm always thinking about partnerships. How can I design this thing to connect people, places, and things? Um, and that's regardless if it's a pro- program, training program, a workshop, no matter what it is. Um, so this was no different. So with this program I launched, I partnered with this local company called 4P, who uh, works with local farmers throughout the region and gives them an opportunity to uh, distribute their food to restaurants and consumers. Um, and they're kind of like this conglomerate. So, uh, you know, I was like, wow, I love this, this organization. You know, we all say we want to do farm to table. It's like, it's like, you know what, I'm really going to do farm to table. So I, uh, I partnered with this organization, um, launched it. And, um, you know, they send out, the farmers send out a list each week. I put together a true farm to table menu. They send me my produce and I cook and do virtual classes and teach people about seasonality. I teach people about local farms. I teach people about cooking technique. And most importantly, I teach people about what community looks like in the, for us as chefs, right? And it, it gives people an opportunity to come together. Um, and this is just the beginning for me. Like this, this, this platform that I've developed is gonna enable me to do workshops and, and, and to take my training programs that I was once doing in my, my kitchen uh, to a, a bigger audience. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. You are uh, definitely a true inspiration. Uh, you know, every, everybody can learn uh, a lot from, from the path that you've taken and, and pull from that. So uh, thank you for what you're doing. And uh, so your, your website is uh, www. 
culinaryconceptsab.com. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, on, on Instagram, you guys are always posting stuff about uh, cooking classes and, and recipes on Instagram. What is your Instagram handle there, Chef? It's uh, culinary concept underscore AB. Culinary concept underscore AB uh, to check out uh, the Instagram feed there. You don't have to be in the Charlottesville area to take advantage of the services that Culinary Concepts provides. So uh, wherever you're listening, check it out. Uh, it's really worthwhile, and, and I'm glad that you got to meet the man behind uh, the business and what they do, because I think it's important to, to understand, uh, you know, the, the character and, and the, the ethics that are, that are behind the, the vision there, and I don't think anybody can dispute the fact that uh, this, is, this is a great person with uh, great intentions, great motivation, and, uh, you know, really somebody that I think is going gonna, is gonna to change the industry for the better. And uh, that's why I try to keep him close as long as he doesn't pull, push me off that cliff before I'm ready. Um, but oh, you're jumping, Chef. You just don't know. Either. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm, I'm, my, my parachute is, is being uh, cut as we speak, I guess. But we don't need a parachute. Um, Jeff. It'll be fine. You'll land. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You don't know me that well. Uh, but, but cool, man. Well, uh, well thank you. So good. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, thank you, Chef, for, for taking the time. Uh, I love you, man. Um, you know, thank everybody for tuning in. Season one, episode one, kind of in the books now. Uh, that's exciting stuff. Uh, so for season, I'm sorry, season one, episode two, uh, I'm going to be speaking with Jeff Potter. He's the executive chef of 610 Magnolia, one of Edward Lee's restaurants down in Louisville, Kentucky. We're going to kind of go through what, what they've gone through during COVID-19 and how they've adjusted their model. We'll talk a little bit about the Lee Initiative uh, that, that uh, Edward Lee is, is working hard on and helping out local businesses and farms. Um, and we'll just get into it with, with Jeff Potter. He's the executive chef there, so he's in the trenches every day. And, and those are the kinds of people that, that, that I really want to talk to and bring to you. So that will air on October 5th. This episode right here with Chef Antoine Brinson, uh, if you've been in the dark and you haven't followed anything that we've done on social media uh, for the last week and a half or two weeks, uh, this episode one airs on uh, September 28th. That's a Monday. That will be on all of your favorite podcast channels, including iTunes uh, or our website, kitchenbrainx.com. And be sure to check out uh, www.bebettercp.com to see what kind of uh, services that, that we're offering there. And most importantly, Antoine Brinson, president of Culinary Concepts AB, that's culinaryconceptsab.com or culinaryconcepts underscore AB on Instagram. Uh, check him out. Uh, beautiful man. And uh, thanks a lot, my friend. We'll talk soon. Cheers, man. Take care. Kitchen Brain.